I'm going to pray for our offering like we usually do uh, in just a second. But let me kind of tell you what's on your bulletins. We're starting a new part of Exodus on the cover of your bulletins. It says, against all gods. You see it there? Uh, we're, we're going to enter into this portion of Exodus that describes what are called the ten plagues of Egypt. Uh, before uh, Pharaoh in Egypt in this time of history lets the children of Israel go, God uh, brings forth these incredible miraculous works, and, and they're not great. They're plagues. Uh, they end uh, horribly uh, with the death of the firstborn of all uh, the sons of Egypt. And, and, uh, but it's all, listen, God doesn't waste any actions. He, he, he does everything with a purpose. And, and the reason we call this uh, series Against All Gods is because the 10 plagues are going to basically refute and show the powerlessness of the gods of Egypt themselves. The pantheon of the gods of Egypt uh, are, are all represented by the plagues. And, uh, and so we're going to be able to see as, as Moses goes through these 10 plagues with the Pharaoh of Egypt, just how God is, is showing the, the utter powerlessness uh, of the Egyptian gods. Now, what's that got to do with us today? Uh, Americans are great at creating their own gods. Uh, we all are susceptible to making gods of ourselves. Uh, uh, the guy in the mirror, the lady in the mirror, that's my God. Uh, we're, we're, we're prone to making gods of other people. We certainly uh, can worship things like power and money and fame. And, and so as we walk through these next uh, few weeks together, uh, we're going to be able to address some of the idols uh, that we worship in our lives as we learn uh, from the story of Moses and the 10 plagues of Egypt. Uh, I'm going to pray for our offering, and then well, we're going to talk about something slightly different today, but in that line, uh, let me pray, and uh, we'll get going. Lord, thanks so much for a chance to gather this morning, uh, to be able to worship you in song and connect uh, with you as we gather here. I pray that uh, those are who are here who aren't yet connected with someone else uh, who's a part of this body of Christ uh, would find those people, their church within our church, as a result of, you know, hanging out at Group Link. Uh, but Lord, as we get to open your word now and receive from you, we thank you for all the things that you've given us in our lives materially. Uh, we receive them, these blessings from you. Uh, everything we have is, is, is because of you, and so we give these gifts back so that you, uh, you can make much of yourself through us as a church. As I open my mouth this last time on this weekend, uh, I pray that you would uh, speak through it and that you would say the things to us that you need us to hear uh, give us your heart for your world, God. Help us to see as you see and to um, respond to you and your plan for us as a church in faithful obedience. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about uh, the plans that other people might have for you in life. How are you uh, at responding to other people's plans? This is, uh, I don't know, but some of you, many of you out there who are married you may be able to kind of relate to this, or if you're a, a child to a parent, whatever. If you're in a relationship with anybody, uh, and that goes on long enough, they're going to have ideas about how your day should go. Has anybody ever been in that situation? Hey, honey, I woke up this morning, and I thought this would be a great idea. And if you're like me, a lot of times you wake up and you say, I don't think that's a great idea at all. Uh, oftentimes, if I feel that way, it's probably because my wife has thought of something that I could do mechanically or or, you know, uh, engineer a project. And if you've been around here long enough, you know that th that's not my forte. I can do it. I will do it. I just probably won't enjoy it. And it may not turn out like we hoped. Now, Eleanor's been battling the flu that's uh, going around. So uh, she was kind of down yesterday. And so uh, Friday, uh, she asked me, she says, listen, Mark, if we don't do anything else this weekend, could you please just finally hang that one shelf 
that I've been asking. And, and, and literally, it's this like floating shelf uh, that you can you know, kind of tack to your wall. And it's been sitting in our bathroom uh, for, <laughs> I don't know, a couple months now, uh, maybe more. And I just I've put it off because I dread those kinds of things. But because my wife is sick and because on occasion I am a decent husband, um, I, uh, I, I got up and, and, uh, and, and I just got to it. I'm going to skip right to the end, and I'm going to tell you right off the bat, that's the best shelf that's ever been hung. <laughs> it is as, there, the bubble has never been more in the middle uh, on, on a level, and, 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 and you can come and sit on it. It's strong. It's tacked in there. I'm very pleased by that. But normally when I do something for my wife uh, in this realm, um, I drag my feet because a couple of reasons. I don't like to fail. Anybody in here like to fail? Anybody here wake up this morning and say, man, I hope I fail. How great will that be? Failure. Love it. I don't like to fail. No one likes to fail. I don't like to do things I'm not good at. Because, see, I'm, I'm really concerned with me. You may not be as much, but I like me. I want to protect me. And failure doesn't feel good to me. Another thing I'm aware of is, is how things that I do might look to somebody else. I don't know what you'd be doing in my master bath, but if you ever came to my house and looked inside my master bathroom and saw, you know, a shelf that's a little askew, or maybe you went up to it, I don't know why you do this either, don't, uh, but if you went up to the shelf in my, and just wiggled it and be like, oh, that could have been tighter. That would reflect on me. I, I, I would feel like um, as I do my projects, I just don't want to do them because they're not going to turn out. They're not going to look good to other people. I think this is a human condition, and it seeps into our spiritual selves, our spiritual realm, where God asks us to do things on his behalf, and we're like, oh, man, that might not work. I might fail. That might not be received by other people. They might reject it. We're going to see that play out again in the life of Moses here in his story. What I want us to learn uh, as we look at Moses and, and his apprehensions is that God doesn't ask us to do things so that um, we can experience success. Oftentimes, he gives us and grants us his blessings and his success. Is everybody grateful for that, that God asks us to do things and sees it through? He doesn't ask us to do things, though, um, so that they'll always succeed. Lots of times, they don't. He doesn't ask us to do things because he needs our help. He doesn't. He asks us to do things so that we might, in relationship with him, draw closer to him, so that we might, in respect to him, uh, trust him more. And learn to be obedient, regardless of outcomes. It's what I hope for us as a church. It's what I've hoped for us for the 16 years that I've been your pastor, is that we would be an obedient church. I love that we are a, a church that loves each other and the community around us, that we serve each other in the community around us, that we, we, we just have been blessed in so many ways. But my chief aim for us, my chief hope for us as a body of Christ, is that we've been surrendered to our God. And his hopes for us as a church, regardless of our discomfort and our insecurities, that we'd follow him in faith. Because see, God has a plan for us. Because God has a plan for all of his people. God has a plan for every one of his people. His plan for Moses is outlined here in Exodus chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. It's a plan that he's actually shared with Moses at least twice already. It's this plan, as we've watched it unfold for Moses to go to the most powerful man in existence in the world that Moses is from, this is, this is the top. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He, he says it again. 
Uh, he said it twice in this very chapter, chapter 6. If you go back to verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, he says it there as well. He says, on the day that Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 28, in the land of Egypt, uh, the Lord said to Moses, it starts this way often in the book of Exodus. He says, I am the Lord. Now, Moses knew that. Uh, Perhaps did not need to be reminded about that, but God still saw fit to, to tell Moses again and again, hey, don't forget, I'm God. You're not. And, and so what I'm about to say is not a suggestion. It's not an invitation. It's a command. I'm a father. My kids are right older now. They, they were all home this weekend. It was kind of nice to have everybody on, under the roof. Um, uh, but even at this stage in life, as my kids enter their 20s, um, there are still things that I invite them to come be a part of, ask them to maybe do, and then there's stuff that I just say, do this. If you want to sleep here tonight, do this. <laughs> now, this particular weekend, it was the garbage cans. I said, someone, because we got this long driveway and it's a long way up there, and I got three kids in my house, I'm not going to get them. You go get them. <laughs> Took all Saturday, but someone ended up going getting those cans. It was not a suggestion, it was not an invitation. It was a do this. This is what God's doing with Moses. He's done it a couple times already. He says it again. He says, I'm the Lord. So go and tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, all that I say to you. It's been the same plan since the beginning. Since Moses encountered God at this burning bush in chapter 3, God's been telling him, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go talk to the most powerful person in the land, and you're going to tell him to let my people go. Uh, Moses, from the, the get-go, has had the same excuses Except this one's different. Uh, in, in the first stages of, of, of the call, uh, Moses hadn't gone yet. He'd just been saying, no, it's not me. I can't talk, and, and, and it's just not going to work. Uh, so God uh, sent his brother Aaron with him. God you know, gave him all these assurances. And so sure enough, in chapter 4, Moses finally leaves where he was in this place called Midian, and he crosses the line, uh, the border, into Egypt. And he and Aaron, they start first with, as God come in, first with the, the elders of Israel. He goes to the representatives, the the governing you know, agents of, of Israel at the time, the slave nation that was in captivity in uh, Egypt. And, and they say, hey man, God wants to let you go. And guess what? <laughs> Those elders were like, thumbs up. God wants to get us out of here? He doesn't want us to be slaves anymore? They rejoiced at the end of chapter four. So, so buoyed by that, uh, <laughs> Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, hey, can I talk to the Pharaoh? And he, you know what? I never really thought of this, but this is probably you know, a good indication that things are going well. If the Pharaoh, the king of the land, agrees to meet with a nobody and give him audience. I mean, that Moses got through the door was pretty miraculous. And so he and Aaron get there and they say, hey, Pharaoh, this is going to be great. You're going to let the Israelites, this this huge, you know, uh, uh, you know, doer of things in your nation, you're going to let him go. So says our God, Yahweh. <laughs> and you remember what Pharaoh said in verse 2 of chapter 5? Who's he? I don't know your God. In fact, I'm kind of ticked off that this is what you're asking me. And so I'm going to make it super hard on all those that you seem to be representing and hoping to free. I'm going to make their work almost impossible. Their quotas are going to go up. They're going to have to find their own materials. It's going to get bad. And it did. And those people who, you know, verses before were like, yay, Moses, met him on the steps of the palace, and they were like, boo, Moses, you stink. And Moses walks away from that. And he feels, man, he feels down. We're going to get into that in a second, but let me pause and just let you know how how much we have in common with Moses. 
Because, see, God has this plan for all of his people. His plan for Moses was to go to his Pharaoh, the, the Pharaoh of the time, and, and, and speak on his behalf. But, but God has a plan for us in this day and age. God wants us to go and speak on his behalf so that the imprisoned in the world that we live in might go free. Isn't that true? That's what the Great Commission's all about. Go and make disciples. Go and, and, and by professing this gospel, this truth about who God is and who his son is and, and how you can believe in him and be set free from your sins, go and do that so that people who are imprisoned can be set free. Sounds like the gospel to me. Jesus um, spoke of his mission and our mission in return uh, in John chapter, or Luke chapter 4, forgive me, when he stands up in a synagogue, he, he grabs the scroll that uh, Isaiah had written, the book of Isaiah, and he reads from it. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then get this, he says this, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and a recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Twice he says, I'm here to set people free so that we might proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now he goes on and right before he's about to leave the earth, he passes this mission on to his disciples. He says, go and make disciples. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That's why we around here have kind of congealed all that Jesus said to those disciples as as our mission. We, We say this around here, we live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. Now now we want to come in here and, and, you know, as they said in the, uh, uh, in the sketch, you know, get our Jesus. We want to grow up in our own faith and, and, and develop and, and deepen and, and address the issues of our own lives. But we want to do all of what we're doing in our personal discipleship so that God might use us individually and collectively as a church to reach as many people as possible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does everybody get that? Everything else we do as a church, we're going to be able to do better when we get to heaven. We're going to be able to worship better. I love Darnisha. We worship great here. But you think worship's going to be a little bit elevated? I mean, first of all, y'all are going to sing. <laughs> Some of you don't right now. That's fine. We'll work on it. But if you are redeemed, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you make it up there, you're not going to be able to help it sing. You're going to, you're going to let her rip. Don't wait. Let her rip here, Okay. But we're going to worship better. We're going to, uh, you know, uh, be served by God and be able to serve him and honor him and glorify him better. We're going to be able to uh, uh, belong in ways that we will never be able to belong. It's as great as belonging is here. I'm so grateful to be in my life groups and to be able to belong in relationship with so many of you. But there's going to be no sin. There's going to be nothing standing between us and, and, and each other. And, and it's just going to be perfect. But you know what the one thing is that we can't do better when we get to heaven is multiply. Because see... Our four around here is that we want to worship, we want to belong, we want to serve, and we want to multiply. But worshiping, belonging, and serving, all of those things feed that final thing. The mission of the church here on earth is to see more people know Jesus and join us with him in eternity. Does everybody get that? Now, sometimes churches lose that, and those churches eventually die because they just kind of turn into themselves and make it all about themselves. And then when the last man croaks, that church is gone. But you read the descriptions of the early church in Acts chapter two, it says that they added to their number daily. And we're not talking someone came over from First Baptist Jerusalem to Bay Life. It's not angry at my last place growth. 
people were being added to the kingdom of God on the regular because people took seriously the mission that Jesus came to give. Now, uh, (laughs) we've been called to go to our pharaohs, to, to speak to those that God wants to speak to. But we have, like Moses, um, our own excuses. God's people for, forever, uh, since humans were created, have had these excuses when it comes to his plan. Um, there's three answers that we can, well, two answers principally that we can give God. Um, uh, yes or no. Some of you might be like, well, maybe. Maybe's no. Does everybody get that? If you're telling God to wait, you're saying no. It's just, anyway. Uh, When we say no to God, we can do it willfully. It's just total disobedience and rebellion, and we're just not going to do what you want, right? That's not going to work out. Everybody listening to me? You can keep doing that, but God, you know, he's bigger than you. But uh, you can do that. But then a lot of times, especially in a a church setting like this, where people have showed up on a Sunday and, and you know, at least, you know, leaned in enough to be able to engage with the story of God and and the purposes of God, we get messages like these where I say, hey, man, let's go multiply. And people are like, oh, I'd love to. But like Moses, I feel inadequate. Like Moses, I'm concerned with what other people will think, how this is going to work out. I don't know if it's going to succeed. Hmm. Look what Moses says when God reiterates the plan. Verse 30, Moses says to the Lord, Behold, one more time, God, you haven't heard me yet on this, but I am a guy with uncircumcised lips. Circumcision was a sign of, of, uh, you know, the covenant. It was a sign of being with God. But but he says, listen, man, I don't, my my mouth doesn't work. In essence, what he's saying is this, God, I can't. I can't. I can't, therefore I won't. My lips don't work. Uh, he, he's probably in his mind, not saying it in the, in the words that we're reading in our books, but, but he's in his mind saying, I tried and it failed. I have all the evidence that I need to not trust and try again. You know, uh, our adversary loves in, in our lives in general to get ourselves to get us focused on us and our abilities and away from God and his abilities. Like how many people, if you've ever talked to someone about becoming a Christian, I've had these conversations. I've I've talked with folks and said, hey man, you know, I love being a Christian. God loves you. He'd love for you to be a Christian. And these are their legit reservations. They say, I could never become a Christian. What are you talking about? He says, well, you just don't know the things that I've done. Their, their excuses are their sins. Like, like I, I had a conversation a few years ago with a guy. I asked him to come to church, and he said, man, the roof would fall in if I entered. Anybody got that person in their family? The place will cave in if I show up. Because they've convinced themselves that they're beyond the grace of God, therefore they can't become a Christian. Oh, what a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> the grace of God has the power to redeem anyone from any sin. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I'm I'm unsavable, you are wrong. (laughs) And the rest of us who are, by God's grace, redeemed by him are evidence of that truth. 
Then many of us believe once and then stop after that. We believe enough to get saved, but then when God says, you know what, I want to use you for this. I want, to, I want to use you in the life of one of your friends so that they can know Christ too. We're like, I can't! I haven't been to seminary. I haven't worked at a church for 30 years. Obviously, the only people who can save someone are the people who've worked at a church for 30 years. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know what to say. I can't be used of you. Sometimes, uh, coupled with our can't, our I can't, is, is, is this sentiment. They won't. Well, maybe I could go talk to them, but they'll never believe. It'll never change. Listen, here's one thing that I know, if I know anything. <laughs> they won't change. And, and, and Moses comes to this, this conversation, this particular time where God is calling him to go back to Pharaoh. He says, listen, I've been there. I've done that. I didn't get the T-shirt, but it didn't work. Therefore, it will never work. We're done. My son Ben was, uh, I don't know, four, five, six, something like that when we started t- teaching him how to ride a bike. And he's, you know, uh, uh, like any kid, not super balanced the first time he's riding a thing. So I'm probably being a little more aggressive with him than I should. I let go of his seat uh, a little sooner than he wanted. And he, he didn't, it wasn't a huge wipeout. He didn't run into a bus or something like that. He just kind of, you know, flopped over into the front yard. I don't even know if he fell. He just kind of got off the bike, you know, clumsily. But that was it. I fell. I'll, I'll never be able to ride a bike. I almost had to duct tape him back on the seat to get him dry again, right? <laughs> but we're starting down the front, you know, front, front drive, and I'm saying, you got this, Ben, you got this. And he's like, no, I don't. And this is what he did. I'm going to fall. I'm going to break my arm. I'm going to go to the ER. I'll never pitch. He liked baseball for like a second. I'll, uh, and he just kind of, do you do this? When you, when you look to a new opportunity or, or, or come to a service like this and the pastor says, you know what, I want to challenge you to be a part of God's mission this year, to invite people who are needing Jesus, to, to, to be available, you know, if the opportunity arises for, to share Christ with someone, are you like, oh, that'll never work. They'll never listen. I've tried before. Didn't work then, it won't work again. I'm done. Well, obviously, God doesn't want us to stay there. And I'm grateful that the word uh, reveals that as we make our excuses here in the story of Moses and in other parts of the scripture, God always gives us assurances. Look what he says in, in chapter 7, verse 1. He says to Moses, listen, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother shall be your prophet. Kind of a confusing verse as you start here. Uh, The actual Hebrew says, I have made you God to Pharaoh. There's no like. The the English translation puts it in there so that we don't, you know, start making theological errors and thinking maybe Moses is the fourth member of the Trinity. Um, He's not. He's not God. God is not conferring on Moses' deity. But what he is doing is he's speaking his language. Don't you love it when God speaks your language? when he puts things in terms that you can understand. Here's Moses, he's 40 years growing up in Egypt. He's been completely immersed in the Egyptian pantheon of gods. He understood that Pharaoh wasn't just the king of Egypt, he was God in Egypt. And so the true God says to Moses, listen, you're gonna go to the one who is perceived as God in his country and you're going to be God 
big G, to his God, little g, and we're going to clean up. You trust me. Now, back in those days, Pharaoh would never speak. He would always speak through someone else. Uh, He would uh, confer and then have someone speak in his place, a prophet, if you will, someone who was his mouthpiece. He says, Aaron's going to be your mouthpiece. You're going to represent me. You're going to function as me, and you're going to go to this one who thinks he's God, and you're going to turn the tables. Just go. Just trust me. Just see what I can do. Verse 2, he says, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. What an amazing assurance. He's been given it ever since. Uh, He met him at the bush, right? But he's like, listen, man, I got this. Just go and I'll trust you. Now, I'm not going to read the next few verses with you, but guess what he says in in verses 3, 4, and 5? He says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Has anybody anybody seen, like he said that at the bush. He keeps saying, why why does he do that? Have you ever wondered why God would ask us to do something that doesn't succeed? Why would God call us to do something? Because here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to, you know, spoiler alert, you're going to write some names down and throw them on the stage, okay? And and God's going to give you an opportunity, maybe sometime in the next week, month, year, to share the gospel with one of these names that you put on a card and pray for God for the opportunity to do that. And that person's going to laugh at you. They're going to call you crazy. Some of them are going to get mad that you'd even think they need saving. How dare you? Right? And some of you are like, yeah, Mark, that's why I'm I'm not going to do it. (laughs) But listen, we got to ask that question. Why would God call us to do something that's not going to work? Why would God tell Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, by the way, he's not going to listen? Well, he does it for a couple reasons. First of all, God doesn't or does anything that isn't going to bring him the greatest amount of glory. So in this story, Pharaoh's rejection of Moses the first time and the second time and the third time, uh, and then his ultimate utter defeat at the end of the plagues is all a part of God's grandest scheme to bring himself the greatest glory, the greatest notoriety. It says in the scriptures that all of Egypt knew that God, Yahweh, was the one true God. It says that Israel, who hasn't for 400 years truly worshiped its God, came to understand that he is real and that he is God. Here's the deal. If God sends you into what seems like a feeling proposition, understand that he's working behind the scenes to bring about his greatest glory and his greatest good and ultimately yours as well. But here's the second reason that God sends us into situations that don't work. There's certain things about God's character that we won't ever understand except that we have failures. Patience, perseverance, faith. Faith doesn't have to be exercised if every time you walk in faith something succeeds. It's like a gumball machine, quarter in, gumball out. But if in faith I follow God and things don't work, I have to wrestle with, do I really believe this? Am I going to, in patience and perseverance, continue to pursue his purposes for my life? Am I going to trust that he knows where I don't? Am I going to trust that his timing is perfect where my timing would be preferred? All questions that go to our deepening in our relationship with Christ. Bottom line is that you and I just need to be faithful in doing as God asks. 
We need to just be faithful in doing as God asks. You skip down to verse 6. Here's how the writer, probably Moses, of Exodus finishes this telling of this tale. He says, Moses and Aaron did so. That would have been enough, but he says, let me, let me clarify. They did just as the Lord commanded them. In the Hebrew, that word just actually pops. It's like in a position of emphasis in the sentence. And so what it says there is that they didn't deviate. They didn't go to the left or the right. They didn't make up some stuff on their own. They just obeyed. They just did as God has instructed. Trusting him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in his name's sake. So I'm at the end of this message. And some of you are still sitting here and being like, oh, good try, Mark. You almost got me. And, you know, I'll write the name down, I'll put it on the stage, but that's it. I'm going to go to my car, go get some Mission Barbecue and be done. Well, the next verse is for you. Because whatever it is in you, whether it's a willful disobedience, it's another sermon for another day. Or if it's just you still thinking, after I've talked for this whole time about how God can do what you cannot, if you're still thinking, yeah, but it's just not going to work. Here's what what the writer says in in Exodus chapter 7, verse 7. He says, now... Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. What a, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, fill out the form type information, right? Like name, age, right? Why, does, why, does, why write that? I think it's completely on purpose. So that all of us, thousands of years after the fact, can read, hey, in this situation, don't forget, God took the least likely messengers and used them to accomplish his will. Is there a worse candidate for this job than Moses, who for 40 years lives with sheep? He's on the lamb. He's working with lambs, and he's on the lamb. He's uh, running from the authorities in his home country. He's uh, a murderer, he, he's killed an Egyptian uh, government official, uh, a slave driver. Um, he, he's not even that, that great of a, of a Jewish guy. He, he forgot to circumcise his own kids. I mean, he's 80 years old. And listen, I, I know there's olders and youngers in here. Um, but some of us can get to a stage in life as Christians, we're like, okay, we're done. Good, served, hung out, gave, did my part. I'm retired, and and that's it. But here's what God says. The least likely are my most likely. The least likely are my most liked. They're the ones I want to use. And so if you're sitting here, and even after I've talked to you about no excuses and no apprehensions and just be faithful and let God work through you, and you're still itemizing your list as to why you're not the one, I want you to know. The longer your list the more appropriate you are. Careful now. Because God loves using the least likely to accomplish his purposes. Is everybody grateful for that? I stand in front of you as a weekly testimony to that fact. Should not be up here. But by the grace of God, I work, you work, we all work to honor him in the plans that he has for us. Here's how we're going to finish. As we close this morning, uh, everybody get a card as you walked in? Anybody get a card as you walked in? Okay. 
So I've already kind of popped the cork on this one. We had a tradition when I first got here of writing down some names of folks that we wanted to see come to Christ or see God use us to be able to invite to church or however it looks. Uh, those are, you know, different levels of the same idea. Now, we used to put them in these little slots. They're still there if you ever want to go and look at them. It's called names on the wall. It was a symbol of us, uh, just like the Jews at the, uh, the western wall of the temple in Israel. They, they will put their prayer requests in the, in the, the slots of the, of the bricks, the rocks there. Uh, it was just kind of symbolic of us uh, making our prayers known to God for these people. So here's what we're going to do. We're not going to everybody file to one of those little holes in the wall. We're, we're just going to come and lay here on this makeshift altar. And we're just going to say, God, here, here's what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm asking in, in this year, in, in, in the days to come, that you would give me a boldness, that you would give me um, the ability, the grace to be able to invite, to, to you know, start the conversation, to, to share my story with this person. It can be more than one person, but at least one. And God, I commit to you in this moment to, to be used of you in this life. And here's what happens. If, if just even a third of us have that opportunity and, and a third of us get to ask those people to church and they all show up on the same day, the place is full. How's it going? Yay! But if beyond that, if a portion come to Christ, then we'll grow as we're meant to grow. Not because someone got mad at some other church, but because someone came to, to know Jesus. That's our mission. That's my hope. Roses on the stage. So may God give us the grace. Start with this pastor and work through these people, Lord, and use us in the lives of those who don't know Jesus. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let you pray. As soon as you know the names and as soon as you sense this is who God wants you to talk to. If you don't want to do this this morning, that's cool, but, but if you do, just kind of walk as we're singing as we close this service this morning. Lord, I, I want to just pray for my brothers and sisters. Lead them to who it is that you'd have them um, uh, share with. Show them their Pharaoh uh, that they're supposed to talk to this year.
Father still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed your promise, Lord. Your promise still stands. Great is Father, we thank you for the assurance of your uh, success. You've never failed. Um, even when seem, things seem to be failing around us, that you, they're not. You're, you're in control and you know what's going on and, and we can trust you. Help us to do that. Help us to trust you. I, I, I celebrate uh, the hundreds of names or more that are here on the stage and every one of them uh, is, is a person. These names represent people that you created, that you love, who, that apparently don't know you and need you. And, and so God, as, as we as a church um, you know, refocus on our mission that you've given us to grow and become all that we can be as disciples ourselves, certainly, but then to be used of you to make disciples of other people. Would you, God, give us opportunities to invite and to um, share and to um, encourage and, and, and to challenge uh, those who don't know you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, bring a harvest, God, of uh, souls through your people. Uh, help us to set aside our apprehensions and excuses and just trust you and go. And by your grace, we will. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen and amen. God bless you this year. We'll see you next week.